So what if I'm not, what if, how can I love myself in spite of my intelligence level being exactly what it is and what, what is not smart enough, you know, and it does, it, it keeps you from being so focused on, I have to prove I'm smart, which is an endless journey because there will always be someone smarter. What if you could rewire your brain and your body in a way that you could rewrite some of the old stories that no longer serve you as an adult? Well, today, fan favorite Cindy Robinson is back on the podcast. Cindy specializes on working with teens and parents, but has a specific focus on mental health. Good Lord, wouldn't you want that when you were, <laughs> when you were going through your teenage years? And if you have kids especially, I would highly recommend you follow her on Instagram. Her handle is Cindy Robinson LLC. And you know how they say there's no handbook to parenting? Well, her account actually is one. And almost every post will have you rethink how you parent and empower you. As we have officially kicked off our series on reparenting yourself, I knew she'd be the perfect person to offer insight. As usual, she gives a fresh new look that I'd never heard before. And also, everything she says just plain works. So one quick note before we jump in. If you aren't already signed up to get my weekly emails delivered to you, make sure you go to allisonhair.com and sign up. And also, can you double check right now that you are subscribed or following this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to? These upcoming episodes, you are not going to want to miss. Here is my chat with Cindy Robinson. Today, we're talking all about reparenting, reparenting ourselves and something you know a lot about. Um, tell me, what does reparenting mean to you? Um, I imagine that what it means most to me is the idea of kind of going back and, and the feeling of righting wrongs, like maybe things that didn't work for you particularly or, um, you know, any traumas you may have experienced or whatever might have gone on in your journey towards becoming an adult human, mm -hmm. something just feels like it didn't get reconciled. So I guess going back and reconciling those things. That sounds kind of scary, though. Is it like kind of, you know, unloading all of the junk in your closet and in an attempt to clean it? It sounds like it's a lot. <laughs> I think it's incredibly hard to do, but I think it is also hard to live um, traumatized and, yeah. and live feeling like you aren't reconciled. So I guess it's just a choice of choosing your hard. And I'm curious to ask you why this topic? What, mm. what made you reach out to me and say, let's talk about reparenting ourselves. So what does it mean to you? Uh, well, it all kind of started with you. And you and I had a session where I have worked with you as your client. And you do this in amazing intuitive healing um, coaching thing. I don't know if I explain it right. But um, you, uh, I had told you that my mother always told me, Allison, never rely on a man for your money. And, you know, always go out and make your own. And I always thought, wow, thank you, mom. That's made me such a hard worker. It's made me, you know, so strong and so uh, 
you know, I have strong fortitude. I really celebrated that part of myself of being a workaholic and, you know, like, and, and being able to be a high earner and, and be able to do that. And you said, Allison, that's trauma. And I was like, what? You know, and you're like, yeah, that's trauma. And so when I think of trauma, or when I thought of trauma, I thought of things that were classically considered as really traumatic, whether it's abuse, whether it is emotional, whether it's physical abuse, um, you know, alcohol is those kind of things that are, are classically fit into that box. And it made me rethink, you know, all of the ways that we're conditioned, you know, for, for better or for worse, and, it, and how, how we have put guards around ourselves to protect ourselves so that it doesn't hurt or feel so sensitive anymore. Yeah, I think um, you're like a lot of people who don't who are very dismissive of what may have been traumatic for them. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important distinction is that we're all made with different levels of sensitivity. And we're all made up, uh, you know, with different human traits and strengths, um, and and different abilities to feel very deeply. And so I think what can be traumatic for one person may not be for another, what could be a proper upbringing for one person may be harmful to another. Um, But I think that it's important not to feel bad about being one way or the other because we do need everybody, you know, to make the world go round. So I think it is important to uh, give people permission to say that something was traumatic for them. So I've been reading this book that I've been obsessed about and it's so hard to get through because all I keep doing as I'm reading it is texting it to my friends like, oh, I thought of Cindy, I need to send it to her. And so she had this definition of trauma that the book is called Patriarchy Stress Disorder and it is not a man hating book. It is really about the the culture, you know, and the framework that we live in that men are just as oppressed in a lot of ways as as women are. Oh, yeah. You know, um, in this and it's by Valerie Ryan, PhD, who is coming on the podcast, which I'm super excited Ooh. about. Yes, I've been so changed by this book. And so she defined trauma this way. Trauma is any experience that made you feel unsafe in your fullest authentic expression and led to developing trauma adaptations to keep you safe. Yeah. Mm. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. But I think, I I don't, I wonder, I, I know as somebody who likes to fashion myself or likes to think of myself as somebody who can let things roll off my back. You know, I'm in sales. I don't really care about no's in my professional life, but I definitely do in my personal life. And I wonder what that's about. Like, you know, how many times do we have adaptations that we've made in, in our world of just these slight infractions that we just never thought to think about or label it as trauma. It seems dramatic or overdramatic in a way, but I think, I, I wonder how we kind of review maybe some of our protective measures that we take um, and things that we call ourselves, our social identities that kind of protect us from getting a hurt that may be worth taking a look at. Yes, I have some things to say about that. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, go Cindy. Um, Particularly starting with the overdramatic or the fear of sounding too dramatic. Um, 
it, it, the problem with that is it actually prevents anyone from sharing or showing who they truly are. And um, there's no such thing. Our bodies respond and react the way they're supposed to. And we just decide to attach shame to those responses or not. Like we either mm. understand that that is an appropriate response because we're having it just for the mere fact that we're having it. Or we feel ashamed and then we go down the shame spiral. But as far as being dramatic, um, it never ends. So I've been to the mountaintop. I have, we've talked about this before. Yeah. I have the big T traumas. I have almost, almost all of them. Um, that you can, that you, someone would say, <laughs> yeah, I, want, I have like the five, the, the medal <laughs> award, like <laughs> medal thing. of honor. You poor thing. Um, well, but that, and that's often the response like, yeah, oh, you poor thing. Right. Well, honestly though, I would look at my situation and go, oh, but look at like what happens, you know, in, in genocides, <laughs> it happens and mm. that didn't happen to me. Or look at, I would hear news stories about the, you know, the girls that they would find, police would bust in and find these girls who were, you know, kept in cages for, you know, two years of their lives. And I'd be like, so what am I complaining about? So it never ends. And I just hear that same thing happening on a different scale with people who are saying, oh, well, you know, my, my parents didn't see me for who I was, or they really, um, you know, tried, asked me to hide the person I was, which this book is talking about anything mm. that's asking you not mm -hmm. to be your authentic self. Um, and you know, why can't I get over that? But it's because it was traumatic for you and you continue to live as if it wasn't. Um, and like you said, your work persona and you've got this, yes. this thick skin. Well, I have a belief that we are the same human 24 seven. And so yeah. I, I believe that probably you've, you've adapted some sort of dissociative or numbing technique in order to survive your work. As life. it was coming out of my mouth, I'm like, I'm reviewing this. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is an adaptive technique. <laughs> yeah. You'd like dangled that carrot right in right. front of I me. I don't really care about it, you know? And yeah. even like dating, even like dating, I remember, you know, when I was dating or hearing people who were dating who like the ability to have casual sex and it not mean anything was like the holy grail, <laughs> you know, like that's really weird, right? It, well, it, I guess that was a message that was sent to you. You know, we all have different mm. messages that were sent that made right. us adapt different ways, but it sounds like that was what was strength or womanhood or yeah. power to you. Yes. Like, well, if, if men are going to do that to us, we can do that to men. It really is kind of a mind fuck, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> and you can't be that person if that is not innately mm -hmm. who you are. You can certainly perform actions that would mimic a person like that. Um, and using several dissociative slash numbing techniques that people use to get through things, but you certainly aren't actually being brought to life by, mm. by living that life if that's not actually authentic to who you are. Yeah, so what I thought was interesting about this book, and again, I'm, I'm only like, I don't know, 75 pages in, which is a miracle for me to actually read pages with where you turn, <laughs> I'm more of an audible girl. Um, in this book, it is, it, I think the overarching message so far is that it's not you, you know, like we get caught in this self-help, you know, uh, hamster wheel that is never like something's wrong with me. I need to fix my mindset. I need to fix, but it's like the framework is broken, you know, like the framework that we are supposed to show up in a way that is going to be very masculine, very, you know, um, uh, very go, 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 very do, do, do. 
um, and and kind of get through it unfettered. Yeah. And I I wonder how you start to unwind that uh, that concept. Well, when you said the framework to be super clear, as I know this is what you mean, but I want to be super clear that you mean the societal framework, yeah, yeah, not your internal framework. Right. That's exactly the point is that there's nothing wrong. Um, I find that 99.9% of the time humans are acting completely appropriately. So someone mm. shows up and goes, I hate that I do this. I hate that I'm like that. How do I change being like that? Well, my main perspective is there's a perfectly logical, reasonable way that you're behaving or doing these things. So let's figure out what that is rather than trying to change something and having no idea what's, you know, what is the logical response that your body is having mm-hmm. trying to tell you. But, uh, Un- unwinding it is recognizing it's it's the framework it's it's society that's broken and that that's also where we can both know that our childhood was harmful to us and still love our parents right um so for some of us we leave and we do have sort of a middle finger in the air towards our childhood and like hate it all and our parents suck or wh- whatever and that's mm-hmm. fine but some people don't admit that things were traumatic to them because they feel like that's a betrayal to the people who raised them Mm -hmm. because they know that they their parents love them and they feel very beholden to them but you can do both you can both admit the framework is broken and the context in which they were raising you was a no-win situation but also know they loved you very much and they were trying their very best and that that was enough knowing that that actually was enough you can take over from here so I wonder how much of it can be blamed on society, you know, like when, when I was growing up in my parents and I had a fairly happy childhood, you know, certainly there were things that happened here and there, things that were very specific to who I am as being somebody that is really sensitive, you know, that they did the best that they could. But, you know, parents weren't talking about their feelings, you know, parents were not told, you know, like it, you spank your kid when they get out of line where that is completely different now. And so I do, I think that is a really insightful thought of you to feel like it might be a betrayal when you feel like you had good parents that loved you, you know, but, but also those societal expectations of how do you move forward in the world? How do you reparent yourself in this way? Yeah, well, well, one thing, can I do a little bit of brain science? You know how I like to Girl, do this. always. <laughs> that feels important to kind of bring to this conversation is um, what we now know, which is pretty new and relevatory information about um, how our DNA works. So if our parents experienced any sort of trauma, and same goes for us but in every generation after. They experience some sort of trauma. You know, the coding in the DNA shifts. I mean, we can see this scientifically mm. now that the way genes are expressed, it doesn't change your DNA genetic code, but it, it changed the, the expression, which means... The receptors, that, right. Yeah, and then that, that means uh, you have a higher propensity to experience um, the same response to trauma as the generation before, except on a higher sensitivity level. So what that means is if your parents experience something traumatic, which if they're depression era or, you know, whatever era they're in that was before now, it just gets more and more traumatic the further you go back. Um, You are now coded to be more predisposed more easily to PTSD, anxiety, depression, things like that. 
So if you kind of start to look at that, you can see how many of us are like, well, my parents had it harder than I did. What am I complaining about? Why am I so weak? Why is this? Why can't I get over this? Well, you, you know, you're so from the start, just if your parents are parenting out of their own trauma um, that was unhealed by the time they conceived you, then you are going to have a higher um, predisposition to also experience that same response mm. more easily. And so even if they're trying to do better than what was done to them, you're going to be more sensitive to that environment and you're going to react um, the same way they did, which, you know, as parents, we see that in our children. Like, wait, I'm trying to provide a better life for them. Why are they mm -hmm. still anxious? Why are they still struggling? And there's lots of reasons, but I do like to kind of highlight um, there's a genetic reason that's really out of all of our hands. Cindy, are we fucked? <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, no, short answer. Because knowing that is very freeing, I think. So if we're all in the same boat, if we're all going through this, if we all feel a little bit traumatized by our upbringing, we're all looking at this like, do I have to reparent myself? Then we're not alone. Mm -hmm. And what what kills people and what causes depression and, and terrible things is isolation. Mm. It's feeling like it's just you. It does feel like, so understanding this, and I feel like I am deep in this right now. It feels very freeing. It feels like, wait a minute, I think I might be able to get off the hamster wheel of this. Something's wrong with me. I need to fix it. And I just don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how. And so I'm I'm learning, you know, like there are little tricks, there are little things that I'm trying to introduce into my daily life of what does it look like to reparent. And a lot of that is starting with the self-talk. And, you know, you and I have talked about this before and it kind of went viral of, of <laughs> you know, you saying, uh, I just want to hate myself less, you know, <laughs> instead of like self-love. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really powerful. But I wonder, you know, like you, you have survived unbelievable big T trauma. And you're one of my favorite and most, you know, wisest people I know, you know, like you really uh, show up in a way that feels like you have somehow moved it and transmuted it in a way that feels very healthy to me. Like I really look up to you for how you show up in the world and would love to understand how do you transmute that energy in a way that's good? How do you reprogram? You said a lot of nice things. <laughs> Thank it's you. hard for you sometimes <laughs> to hear it. <laughs> it's, I'm getting better at, at feeling it's true in my heart, but uh, it still uh, makes me so nervous to think God's people are depending on me. But there is this feeling of cracking a code and knowing like it doesn't have to be like this. Mm -hmm. So that is why I talk with a sense of urgency and I, I kind of take over sometimes and go down rabbit holes because I feel like there's something, some code to be cracked. It does feel like a code cracking. Yeah. Um, but first I would like to ask, you said you're working on those self, that self-talk yeah. and you're working on that. Is how is how is that going so far? So I would like to know that before I... Oh, terrible. <laughs> but I'm aware of it. You're aware that it's going terrible. I'm aware. No, I'm aware that it's happening. So I think it is, 
<laughs> I don't love the frequency that it's, you know, like that I'm noticing it and because I'm noticing and more hyper aware. So I feel good that it is being brought to light kind of thing and not just happening in the background, but me noticing and it happening anyway, you know, and then trying to, I don't know if it's retraining the brain uh, of just trying to, and, you know, I, I wish there was a way that if I feel triggered in some way that I could reprogram it in the moment. And that's the part that is frustrating of just, you know, I think I have, and I'd be curious to get your triggers too, but I have these triggers on not being smart. And, you know, if, if there are situations where something at work, something somewhere is really hard and I'm not understanding it, that sends me into such a spiral of, yeah, that, of course, of course, you don't get it. You don't belong here. And so it, it does attach itself to a lot of old stories that I'm trying to reprogram. So if we're being fully honest, that's, that is kind of one that I'm working through on a regular basis of not being smart. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, th- I think like you're saying, you're, you're in this sort of step one of just recognizing just how much that matters to you. Yeah. Like just the, f- the first thing really is the awareness of yourself and first looking at, wow, what, what am I living with right now and mm-hmm. how I treat myself? I'm currently getting by on fumes, you know, I'm right, currently right, getting right. by on constantly talking to myself negatively. And, and, and then you're identifying what is the source of insecurity, which if you're having trouble identifying, you know, what are your triggers or what triggers you, it, it's usually what you um, feel most defensive about if someone brings it up, you know, so if, you know, some random person, because sometimes I'll have a, a reel that will, you know, go viral in quotes and Yours are hilarious. <laughs> you just crank them out. They're really Thanks. funny. But the more popular they are, the the more trolls you're inviting because more yeah. people are going to be seeing those reels who they aren't meant for. Do you have trolls? Um, yeah, I get trolls. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't really like that. Like until you're hated, you're not big enough or something, you know? Yeah, I'm more of a below the radar kind of gal. <laughs> but if that happens, um, yeah, I get trolls. And it's funny because... We, when one really upsets you and makes your stomach turn, that usually means, oh, there's something in there that, of a dialogue that I'm saying to myself that I'm really tired of carrying. Like, I'm really tired of carrying this thing that I'm saying to myself and mm-hmm. this person calling it out. Mm-hmm. Just, I just know it's going to make that job so much harder for me to, you know, fight that. So that's one clue is just, it, it could be in, a, in your marriage, you know, and once something goes down to you're like your mother territory, you mm-hmm. get really defensive, mm-hmm. but just whatever really sets you off, makes your blood boil is probably the thing that feels close to true to you on some Mm -hmm. really subconscious level. But so, you know, for you, it's nice that you've already identified that this is about your intelligence level and whether or not you're smart. But I think, um, you know, what do you do from there about that? The Mm -hmm. (laughs) non-self-hatred is how can you not hate that so much? How can that, you know, you be... Let, let's assume you're not as that smart, you know, so sort of going down this terrifying mm. hole of, well, how would it be okay if I wasn't the smartest in the room? You know, what would I do mm. if the case was closed? I don't like that. <laughs> and I'm sure you Wow, don't. that is a terrifying thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's okay. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Keep going. And it gets worse and worse and worse until you actually accept that what if that was true and that's what's real creepy about shame is 
and right up until the moment that you speak it out loud or you rid yourself of that shame, it just gets worse and worse, which scares you off from dealing with it, right? Mm -hmm. Like you just think, well, this is getting worse and worse. So by the time I actually speak this out loud or live as if, what if, so what if, if this is true, you think it's going to be so much worse, but it, it isn't. So once you actually live in, well, what if I'm just not? So what if I'm not, what if, how can I love myself in spite of my intelligence level being exactly what it is and what what is not smart enough you know and it does it, it keeps you from being so focused on I have to prove I'm smart which is an endless journey because mm -hmm. there will always be someone smarter and there will always be some trigger telling you that you're not the smartest in the room but what if you embrace that about yourself and you go okay what if I'm not? Now what? What's the dot, dot, dot after that? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm not the smartest. Well, what? What happens then? And I can't tell you what would happen yeah. for you, but it, can you can you delve into that and think about, well, what happens? Let's say you, you go, okay, officially, not the smartest in the room. What happens next? I think for me, I rely on some of the experts around me who are <laughs> very smart um, and deflect to them. I wonder uh, what triggers you? Mm -hmm. um, What's your story that you tell yourself or work through? A death, alone, um, not like needing, like needing, asking for help, being a burden, big, mm -hmm. big sources mm -hmm. of fear for me. So I'm a pro I like to provide, I like to not cause a debt to any relationship whatsoever. Mm. So for sure, any sort of um, anything that might, in, you know, whenever I'm feeling insecure, it's that I'm not bringing enough to a situation. I'm not doing my part. I'm a burden on someone. Woo! When I get sick, I immediately become defensive. Like me sick equals defensive. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Because you need somebody to help you. Yeah, I'm just, I'm weak in that wow. moment. And so I'll, I'll, I'm so grouchy and I just have to kind of isolate. You just I have to just learn. So so I've had to sit in. Well, what if I'm I am a burden? What if I need for me it was about financially, you know, I don't have um I don't make what my husband makes and I don't have the letters after my name. I've, that's been a big source of insecurity my whole life. I'm just now owning that and not apologetic for it. But when mm. I would think about okay what will I'm not ever going to make as much as him what if I'm what if I am dependent on him financially like what if this is just how it's going to have to be and then I have to ask myself well what what now so what so what if you what you provide is emotional support not financial support and then once I started thinking about that I was like is that so bad that is a huge reprogram for women especially of understanding what people's value and what people's worth is. Mm -hmm. And even for like stay at home dads, you know, like they have to go through, you know, some really big soul searching, you know, like Chris and I, my husband and I have gone through, you know, some, some questions around value, or what does it mean if I now enter into this social identity? You know, like, what does it mean about us that it's really weighted? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we've all had these societal constructs around yeah. us telling us exactly how we're supposed to think, 
behave and, and do life. But when you stop fighting that insecurity, like for you not being the smartest and you dive into people who aren't the smartest in the room, but still do amazing things. And you just dive into, I'm in this camp. So what if my, what if my worst fear came true? And like for you, I would recommend a book like Range by David Epstein. What's that about? Um, it's all about how it's more beneficial to dabble in a lot of different things and not be specialized in any one area than it is to be very highly specialized hmm. in an area. And it just addresses, there's a lot in there about how the people who aren't the smartest in the room is not such a bad thing. Um, and when they embrace that about themselves, they actually bring a whole lot more to the group hmm. than sitting there thinking they don't have anything to contribute. So, so, you know, feeding yourself with assuming that is true about you. And then feeding yourself with reassuring material of why that's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for me, Laziness Does Not Exist by Devin Price was very helpful because productivity equaled worth mm -hmm. for me, for sure. And so um, that book debunks that myth and it made it okay for me to live a life of ease and to aim to work half the time and be off half the time and look at myself as I'm contributing to this relationship through who I am as a human, as a healthy person. Mm -hmm. You know, what I'm hearing a lot through this whole conversation is permission. And if you think about it from a cultural perspective, it does seem to be that there's more of a focus on living authentically. People are leaving work, the great resignation. They're doing, you know, they're becoming YouTube stars. They're leaving, they're, they're becoming coaches. They're doing things that they never would have thought of before and because there is permission to do so. And I wonder, you know, from a permission perspective, it does kind of feel like until, you know, like that you feel that cognitive dissonance that you're in the wrong place, something that I feel a lot, a lot of the time, you know, of how do you break out of that box? You know, like how do you break out of that prison? And, you know, what does permission look like? And can, can you bend the culture enough of a way where it's safe to spread your wings? Asking for a friend, of course. <laughs> yeah, not Asking that I like know audience. it all, but I have my answer to this. Uh -huh. Please explore and get other <laughs> feedback. But um, culture means nothing. You, you shape culture. So if it's something you do, it's something you're, you, your people do, it's something your culture does. So I, I'm a big fan of like, I shape the culture. The culture does not shape me. Um, mm, preach, girl. Yeah. <laughs> so because so everything I do then is something a woman does. And everything I do is something a mom does. Um, and it doesn't matter if you thought that's what those things were. If I'm doing it, then therefore it is a thing that I do. And it's, I do represent my culture. This is what this is what our culture does is sit down and have these conversations. But to bring it kind of when we were talking about the reparenting and you said the, the word permission, um, let's do a real a, a nice little shortcut for people that um, reparenting yourself simplest way to boil it down is go back and give yourself permission all the times that you weren't given permission before, whether we're blaming that on parents, whether we're blaming that on society, whoever you're blaming that on. Um, now go back and give, give permission. Like what if someone, what do you said mean permission? Permission to be, to be a to be shit you. to somebody? Um, if that was really your calling, but I mean, uh, no, I if, mean if like if somebody, <laughs> if somebody offhandedly make, made a comment to you, that was a trigger, you know, and they may or may not have meant to offend you, but it really sent you in a spiral, 
you know, I've, I've, I just want to understand what that means to give permission or to allow. What are we allowing? Um, well, we're allowing you to come forward as yourself this time around. So mm. when, it, from the context of reparenting, thinking of all the ways that you um, were not given permission to be yourself growing up, mm-hmm. now is your time to go back and recognize I'm being not so much to deal with a person who's triggering you because that has nothing to do with them. Okay. This trigger is about you. Yeah. You don't get triggered by people without it having to do with you. Mm -hmm. Even if it's a husband, even if it's your child, it doesn't matter. This is about you. And so I would say more so permission to go back and figure out what's triggering me about that and why is it perfectly okay that I felt defensive of that part of myself. Mm -hmm. And instead of thinking that that person has control over that, I'm taking control over that and I'm giving myself permission to live as that that person that I'm feeling so defensive of. You know, like you're feeling so defensive of not being smart enough. Well, you can go back and give that version of yourself permission to not have to be the smartest in the room. And that that's, there's probably something really awesome and beautiful about, you know, where because your intelligence is somewhere intelligence exists on like uh, what is it six seven eight different types of intelligence so um everybody is a bright and beautiful being and they're here for a reason so you're just putting intelligence in one box so you go back and give yourself permission to express your intelligence in the way that that makes you feel mm-hmm. bright and good and smart you know I, as if i'm thinking in real life um you know i i really wanted to get into rutgers and I took my SATs three times. I got dumber. Um, and I did not get into Rutgers after multiple attempts. And I went to a state college. It's called Kane University in New Jersey. And I started out as a psychology major. And then when I discovered that my college had a radio station in my sophomore year, it felt like everything lit up. Everything lit up. And it 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 felt like all of my smarts and, you know, I didn't really blossom really until college anyway, because I felt like I could be my truest expression and couldn't believe that I could get on a microphone and play music and share music. Like my whole childhood was making mixtapes for other people because I couldn't wait to share the music and couldn't wait to share it, you know? And so I do, I do think I understand, you know, rewinding and looking back of the beauty of finding, you know, what, what does light you up and what, you know, where you do feel smart. Like I could kick anybody's ass in eighties music trivia, (laughs) but other than that, uh, it might not be my bag, but I, I think I see what you mean. Well, yeah. And I mean, so then you would be giving yourself permission to realize that was where you were lit up. That's where your focus should be. And Mm -hmm. I think you may have gotten caught up in messages that said, um, that's a hobby. I'm not sure. Or that's just not worthy enough. Or I I don't really know. Yeah. That's why I didn't get into it because, uh, well, I did want to be a DJ out of college and I would pursue that and then realize there was no money. There was no money there. And I ended up in marketing and then back in sales and radio sales, you know, so I was kind of in and around it, but never doing the thing. Yeah, but you know, you say there's no money, um, but (laughs) it it might not be money that you found um, enough to satisfy what every expectation was placed on you mm-hmm. um, because I think oftentimes we can mm-hmm. adapt our life mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. whatever financial means we we have but we don't 
out of fear of outside judgment or, you know, these where we've sort of handed ourselves over to somebody else. That is so powerful to think about the expectations of us making not an excuse, but like the adaptability, we're going again to the adaptability. Because if I'm being honest, I would go to radio stations and I would send them like a, a tower of pies of pizza with my resume and a demo tape on top. And while they called to thank me, nobody ever offered me a job in that in that realm. And the demos sucked, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. Um, and I wonder, like, if we're looking at a sliding doors moment, if I had gotten a job there or gotten offered a position, would I have, would it, was it a story I was telling myself, like, well, there's no money, I'll just go somewhere else? I'm not sure. But, but yeah. I also, you know, wonder how much your, um, perspective of money and having to be independent you know what you had said in the beginning mm -hmm. about sharing about how your mom said never depend on someone mm -hmm. but actually um it's quite acceptable that if you know the person that you're with is um very content in what they're doing and it makes enough money that you could pursue these things you know or if there's just some way to make things work I say make them work um, because when we say don't depend on anyone, I mean, the message that sends is, is traumatic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what that says about, you know, that you can't count on anyone and all these things, they actually aren't true about healthy people, you know, who love one another. So it's just something usually very unhealthy people have determined from their life experience. Mm. Certainly something I had mm -hmm. determined from my life experience was everyone will die or they'll hurt you. It's one or the other. And... You just have eventually, you have to s decide that that's not acceptable and you're willing to take a chance, get so unafraid of failure that you just go, okay, well, you know, what if I'm not smart? What if love is real? You know, what if it's okay to um, not make nearly as much money as your spouse? Or what if it's okay to live modestly for the rest of your life, but you're doing something that you love? And, you know, that's, I'm always cheering you on to do that. I'm always trying to tell you, do it, do it, do it. Get this stuff out of your head because I I know this is what's on the other side of that fence. Mm. I just got lucky that I found out a little bit sooner. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're thinking about reparenting and the people that you talk to in your coaching practice, where do you find people need the most help to reparent? Definitely they get stuck on dismissiveness dismissiveness of their own pain and that's when I hear things like why can't I just get over it why does this still bother me mm. why can't I let this go um, they get stuck there if they make it past that point I think um, it's a hopelessness or a, the fear of taking a chance that um, there is a better existence available to them they just haven't seen it yet um, because you can get really apathetic and real cynical real fast if your childhood messages were um, pretty toxic. So having taking that chance that they are worth something, taking that chance that love can be healthier than maybe what they've seen so far, that's typically where people get stuck is there is this element of risk. that You do have to set yourself up for potential pain. 
and you've built your whole life with these shells like you talked about to protect yourself so there comes that moment where you do have to take that armor off and you have to risk that someone would hurt you but or that you you would you know self-worth wise you would hurt yourself you would disappoint yourself you know you would actually be all this awful things and um so that's probably I would say that's where people um, who I see that's where it's hardest to get out of. Mm, I would think that the dismissive part probably happens more than we ever, ever would give ourselves credit for. Yes. <laughs> well, you were. You you know that. Um, yeah. You were dismissive about how how traumatic of a message that is mm-hmm. to not depend on anyone. That I mean, just imagine saying that to your children. It's horrific, the idea of, of sitting a child down and repeatedly saying to them, don't depend on anyone. Mm-hmm. It, that's traumatic. Would you do that to, like, imagine the, the response of your children if you Mm-mm. did that, right? Mm-mm. Yeah, that is traumatic. So you weren't this armored up adult you are now and that was being said to you. Mm-hmm. So that's where we have to look at ourselves with compassion. Yeah, so that compassion part, <laughs> especially <laughs> compassion towards ourselves, where... Where, where are you working to reparent yourself right now? Um, hmm, right now, I think I'm doing okay right now. It will, there's always layers. Yeah. And so I am always waiting for the next layer, which is usually presented by all of a sudden, all the amazing stuff starts to wear off. And I start thinking, oh my God, is this all going to end? And like, Mm. these aren't real tools. It just means there's a deeper, deeper level of healing. But I think, I think it's just the continuing the day to day of finding myself enjoyable and not feeling guilty about that. And just, um, experiencing and relishing in the fact that I am not hating myself for a while and it feels good and that it's going well. Um, but yeah, I don't, it's going well, the not hating myself thing (laughs) is going great. It turns out that feels pretty good. And I haven't burned the house down. Like nothing bad happens. (laughs) You know, I assumed that I wasn't an awful person and it turns out I continued to behave as a good person. I thought, I thought if I, I thought if I, um, didn't make myself be a good person, then there was this terrible person deep down underneath and that person was going to come forward and ruin everybody's life. But it turns out that's not true. So I think Don't you think a lot of people have that of just if people knew who I really was, they wouldn't like it. Yeah, like a whole lot of people. And they're yeah. my favorite. That's my favorite people. Why are they your favorite? Because they always are amazing. Because bad people don't worry about being bad people. Mm. <laughs> like nar- they're always like, Am I narcissistic? Am I this? Am I that? And I'm like, those like narcissists don't worry about being narcissists. And like serial killers don't worry about being serial killers and um, malicious people behave in a malicious way because they, um, you know, experience some sort of joy out of being malicious. But we just think we might be that if we didn't have a death grip on ourselves. Um, mm. But usually those are the sweetest, nicest, best people on the planet. And they just don't know it. It all seems like reprogramming, reparenting, mm-hmm. compassion for ourselves, permission and what would life be like if if we were kinder to ourselves? Yeah, take that risk. I guess that's what we're saying. Yeah. Asking people to take that risk. Because I'm risking it too. 
And I know I'm a little like feeling a little better about it because I'm seeing it work. But every day taking the chance that I'm going to be a good person today on default and just going by my gut is a risk. But I think that's what we're asking people to do. Mm. Cindy, you're amazing. <laughs> you as well. I really, I'm really enjoying your journey, by the way. So just like, I am cheering. For oh, it's you. out there, baby. <laughs> I'm cheering. So how can people work with you? Uh, my website is the kid. You're a fan favorite. <laughs> yeah. They, people want more Cindy. <laughs> Ooh, look at you. It's thekidfactory.org is my website. Um, my Instagram, I feel like I try to give away as much as I can on there. So I do encourage people to check that out. Um, it's at the underscore kid underscore factory. I can't think of anything else. To tell. Well, you do have coaching practice and also uh, I, I know you have some events, but what I think is so uh, like mind-blowing of what you do is that you work with teenagers so for all those parents who have teenagers who are pulling their hair out going I don't know what to do I'm at the end of my rope I'm so afraid that they are going to really screw something up or I'm going to really screw something up that's where you live and that is like oh, amazing <laughs> It's one of the perks of being a trauma baby. <laughs> I love a good challenge. I oh love, anybody goodness. who thinks like it doesn't work for me, therapy doesn't work for me. Those are my, those are, I like the worst stuff. I don't know how to explain <laughs> it. I love the worst parts of life. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much, Cindy. It's always a joy to have you. Once again, Cindy Robinson knocks it right out of the park. She has actually changed her branding from the kit factory that's mentioned in this episode to Cindy Robinson LLC. So make sure you follow her on the socials. I've linked everything in the show notes. And for you, some wild things are happening with me outside of this podcast. Things I can't quite share yet. So I hope you'll stay connected with me through my emails. You can get them by signing up on allisonhair.com. And please make sure you share this episode with some people you know that could probably use it. You never know. Some of these conversations, uh, typically when they are shared, happen to be shared at the very right moment for somebody that could have used it. Changing a culture, what I have discovered, is an inside game and starts with you and your community. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>